0: I believe it had a bad reputation. Before.
1: You had one, or this, The programs did. The programs did. Why?
0: Because all I have ever heard were the kids that were struggling academically and like needed extra help.
1: And then, what happened after you got in?
0: I completely changed my aspect on things, and it definitely.
1: But what did it do? I mean, what made it change?
0: For me, I don't believe I was necessarily struggling in school. I just never had the time and opportunity to really focus on it because I've been working since I was 14 years old. I was 40 hours a week right after school um, every day. not an opportunity to really focus on the school and once I went into like a program like 2 we gave me the opportunity to be able to tailor everything down to the schedule that I was able to work work on and, and it ultimately helped me be able to, Get my schoolwork done at my pace without it being just like a cookie cutter program.
1: Was it a lot faster for you once you got involved in it? Yes. Okay. Did you learn anything from it?
0: Yeah. It, it well, it was easier for me to understand just the subject. School. Well, that's that was the question. Because um, I was able to take it at my own pace versus having to go at a specific pace that school was, or that I guess that the that the the class was. Uh, was going in. So a lot of times I just needed to take a, a second longer to reread things and that's all it needed to, to completely understand it. But we didn't get, we didn't, I, I feel like I didn't get that when I was in just regular. This
1: is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education, especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, Jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Educational Triage. This is Tony, and we are joined, of course, with the wonderful Philip. Aloha. Good to see you. And this week, we are looking at the misperceptions of alternative education. There are so many misperceptions, and it depends. We're going to categorize these things. We're going to talk about students, faculty, admin, policymakers, the community. And it's... Yeah. I don't know. We're just going to... We're, we're just going to dive into it. But before we do, make sure that you hit that subscribe button so that you get everything as soon as it happens. And if you are subscribed on YouTube, you'll get some of the smaller clips as well as they pop up. And don't forget to check down below for the blog and you will be set. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about, first of all, what is alternative education? In a nutshell. If
2: you you don't know by now, then I can't help you.
1: (laughs) Alternative education is anything but mainstream education. It is something that allows students to... It's something that that takes students from where they are and helps them blossom and excel and reach graduation or even just to, to develop and find their talents and maybe give them the self-confidence so that they can many of them sometimes do return to the mainstream classroom to succeed i had one such student he went back into the mainstream classroom and graduated um, with the with honors with his honors courts so yeah but you know, anyway, uh,
2: people that ask me, what is alternative? I'd say I'm an alternative ed's high school teacher. And they'd say, what mm-hmm. is, what is alternative ed?" And I'd say, you know, that school that we went to where the bell rang and we went to our lockers and we picked up, you know, whatever else. And we went to the next class and there was a lunch period. and A lot of us try to dodge out one class, maybe, maybe two. I don't know. But you know that, you know, yeah, go, it's not that. <laughs> it's nothing like that. <laughs> and then I go into, well, here's what we do, <laughs> you know, but it's like, cause everyone thinks that's what school is. You know, the bell rings, you go to your locker, you go to your next class, you go to lunch. There's a football game at the end of the week is, you know, yeah. Sort of, there's a play in the spring, that sort of thing. It's not that at all.
1: Well, unfortunately for many people, unless you have the bells, unless you have that schedule, you do mm. not have a school. Mm. I would can't, imagine that there as well. are a lot of people yeah. who cannot get that. They have mm. these preconceived notions about what it must be, and what should be happening, and they should all over the programs. Yeah, and I think maybe that's where a lot yeah. of the misconceptions come from.
2: But certainly, yeah, maybe that's it. You know, like that old phrase. All of us have been through the first grade, but very few of us are equipped to teach it.
1: That's very true. Um, (laughs) And I think we should do an episode on what to look for when interviewing an alternative, an educator for an alternative program.
2: Oh, that's a good topic. Do you like that idea? I I do. I like that
1: idea a lot.
2: I have many ideas about that. Thank you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the importance of understanding what these misperceptions are needs to be addressed because, well, the misperceptions need to be addressed because alternative ed is not given any legitimacy among mainstream education. Sure you're going to find an anomaly here and there you'll find a person who gets it and they understand what it is, but there's still there's still that little inkling, and I've heard people say, "I am an ally of alternative ed, and I said, "What does that mean? What do you do for alternative ed?" They said, "Well, I get it and I said, "Tell me what that means being an ally and that you get it. What do you get?" And they were really. Not discombobulated. They were more. They become an ally. (laughs) They were, what's the word? They were upset Mm. because I think I cornered them because they don't like to be asked that. And it's like, okay, what do you understand and what don't you understand about alternative ed? And they turned heel and left.
2: Well, I'll, I'll give, yeah. I'll give a little allusion to my um, blog, but I knew nothing of Altad before I got hired.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Much to my surprise, um, I love it. I mean, you and I both know what it is and and how we are able to really uh, innovate and just. The relationships with the kids were much more meaningful. I knew my kids so much better. I knew when to push them and I knew when to like say, okay, you know, yeah, you can take it easy a little bit, but I need something better the next day. That sort of thing. It was so much better. And uh, I knew nothing of that before I'd gotten there. And I went to grad school, for goodness sake. I taught in a high school, a big high school for my internship and very reputable. But uh, yeah, it was a big high school. I had no idea.
1: I don't think anybody really does because at most universities, as we discovered two years ago, you, me, and Christy, we discovered that there really aren't any educational programs for alternative education. The National Association for Alternative Education or National Alternative Education Association, NAEA, they do have on their website a course, but it's more for administrative level it's not necessarily uh, for training yeah. teachers hmm. which is why you and i did that series last year on what does it take to become an alternative educational teacher but even yeah. that is is in a sense there it's far more nuanced i think than what we were actually able to discuss at that time
2: it certainly was although looking back i had quite a I don't know, forward-thinking program. I mean, one of our professors was from Afghanistan after the Russian and, um, occupation. So mm-hmm. he got out of there before the Russians occupied mm-hmm. it, just before. And so his standpoint was very different than, a, than the standpoint of an Afghani, say, from now. It was very interesting, though, just having that standpoint at that time. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah. And that was my grad school master's program for teaching, and uh, so they were pretty diverse, but right. there was nothing ever spoken about what alternative ed was. We were all just supposed to go to classrooms and grade and and have files and curriculums and lesson plans and um a lesson plan is, yeah, boy, I can start a lesson plan's like a it's like a uh it's like a mission plan. It goes completely away in the first three seconds of of initiation. <laughs> it just goes right out the window. You have a plan and it leaves. Mm-hmm. And exactly. So yeah, uh, that's what happened in all dead. So I could bring it back. It was fun. I enjoyed it.
1: <laughs> With alternative Ed, what you need to do is you need to draw a map. Yeah. Of where you it need just, to be, but that goes yeah. for every single kid. Yeah, and then if you're in a, a program, in then you and the other people in the program, you work on what that map looks like continuously to make sure. And it's like a river. I yeah. mean, it winds and it bends, and sometimes it curves back and it goes around, and it it has yeah, a lot. It's... But the mist, but the importance of understanding the misperceptions of alternative ed is to legitimate. We need to find legitimization because the truth is that where you had a problem with a student and couldn't get them to do anything, all of a sudden they're working over here. How did you do that? And they might give you something that they did that might have made it more accessible for them. and, Sometimes, mainstream educators, they get their egos all wrapped up and crumpled, and they think that that means that it's easier. It's not easier. I think I told you, one of my students, he was pursuing something that he really wanted to do, and he wanted to do something with the Communist Manifesto. And so, we talked about that, and I said... What I want you to do first is let's read. I gave him some sections out of Plato's Republic, and I included the allegory of the cave. I said, read that, and then let's talk. So he read it, looked at me, and he said, I'm not getting this. And so we sat down, we talked, and all of a sudden you could see the light bulbs popping off on his head. And I said, okay, now write me a paper about what you understand about that. And use citations from the book. So he did that. And then he came back and he said, Now, what am I going to do with Marx? And I said, I want you to look at the Communist Manifesto and I want you to apply those same thoughts and compare it to the American Constitution. And I said, I don't want you to go bit by bit on the Constitution. I want you to look at the preamble and then you can look at all the rights and amendments at the Bill of Rights and the Amendments, but um, just how how do they interface and how do they compare? Are there similarities? Are there differences? And he said, okay, so we were also writing a comparative paper, right? And he got through it. And he told me just the other day, he said that was the hardest thing he had ever had to do but he felt yeah. so good and so brilliant afterwards because yeah. he learned so much. Not only oh, yeah. that, but it was like he was climbing a mountain and he conquered it. Mm. It's not because right. it was easy. It was because, one, it was an interest that he had, and it was working on that and challenging him, knowing that he had the mental capacity
2: That's complete to get learning. there. Yeah, the stakes are, well, first off, you're very interested in the subject and then the consequence is high, you know, because you're, you're dealing with some pretty heavy duty subjects. Mm -hmm. And so you're very focused and you might get into what's called flow (laughs) and you learn really well and you do things that surprise yourself. And, you know, that's the moment of aha. And those are the most amazing learning moments, the aha moments. like Oh, whoa, whoa. when you know you've learned something and it happens if you're in the right environment. One of my best classes was writing 123 research paper, one Mm -hmm. 100 level, but I got my butt kicked and, uh, the prof eh, was great. He was, he was a great writer. He was a good prof. He pushed me. He was a model for me in the future. And I, I put the kids through much the same thing for a research paper senior. So,
1: and the thing is, is that in alternative ed, you have the ability to match the student with the learning style, with the materials, and you can manipulate that in order to meet whatever standard. And you know, so if you're to teaching qualified- to the... If you're teaching to the content standards and this is going to come up because I had an interesting conversation with somebody just the other day. If you're matching with the content standards, then you can, and if you know, if you know your Mm sis, then you know how to develop these things. It's, it's not Mm -hmm. rocket science, but um, I think people tend to get lazy and they don't want to they're more into their phones they're more into what is everybody else doing we've had i've I've had to work with alternative educators who could not get it out of their head that they needed to do something better and that this was below them and so Mm -hmm. they refused to to work with the kids
2: Hey, I wanted to step back on that one last one because I had a lot of kids who would come up with original ideas mm-hmm. that weren't workable, and so one of my roles was to say that isn't a high enough uh, target, or uh, that doesn't go anywhere, or you know that's not what I'm after. For for example, I gave a research paper, and I never let him write on the legalization of marijuana. Because at that time, everyone was writing about it and they all wanted to, you know, oh yeah, everyone should be able to smoke weed. It's like, first off, you're going to be under the age. I know that it's probably going to be 28 or 21 and under. It's like alcohol. And I don't even want to hear about changing four laws at once, you know, so I wouldn't let them do it. And that was kind of, that was kind of my role to tell them, yeah, nice try, but let's look someplace else for something else.
1: Yeah. So let's move on and let's talk about the students and what their misperceptions are about yeah. um what alternative ed is and the kids at the beginning students? at the beginning I put a couple of I put a couple of snippets of students and what they thought of it and it was a place for kids who it was for those kids it was bad kids. It was bad kids. It was kids.
2: those kids. It was yeah. those kids. There were rumors and, about pregnant students and things like that. Mm-hmm. I remember. Yeah.
1: And you know, that's where that's where those kids went. Yeah. And so then students and this was a prevailing theme among everybody that I spoke to. It was those kids. And Talk about othering, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, con- even the most... without prior investigation. <laughs> well, I know people who work in alternative ed who are disgusted yeah. by, the, by the students who are there. And they feel morally superior to those students. Oh, Obviously, that's what those he people should Isn't not they... be working there. I was going to say, they
2: shouldn't be working there. You know, people in Alternative Ed are disgusted by the students. They go,
1: well, they shouldn't be working there. Go on. No, they shouldn't be. (laughs) They shouldn't be. No. But, you know, they claim the moral high ground because they're doing something for society. Because they're going to re-educate. So, okay. So, the other thing that they felt was that they had, they weren't going to be able to do everything that they needed to be able to do in order to graduate, that they were going to have limited academic opportunities. Mm -hmm. I mean, you go into an alternative program and you see it and it's smaller. It's not this huge thing. And granted, the funding for alternative ed tends to be very low because you have a low student population. So you're not going to yeah. be able to have the publications. You're not going to be able to have the digital arts. You're not going to have this huge range of electives. No. You can get electives. That's a right. Because they have smaller class sizes. They have teachers no. who will work with them. And so they felt that there was an inferior quality to the education. But then they said when they started working, they were so wrong. <laughs> because they said that they, mm. you know, basically some of them said it allowed me to catch up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I wasn't always there. And so that was the only reason why I had a problem. One of them said, uh, I went in and talked to my counselor and she told me, That I would be nothing more than a McDonald's worker. Uh, I said, How old were you? And he said, 14. Well, Well, in just a few years, and just a few years after graduation, this kid is running his own business and he's making very good money.
2: Huh? It's almost like a dare. I was just going to say, imagine what it would be for the kid. We've all been through school. And so that's the model that we know. This kid isn't even any kid, say, at the age of 14, 15, hasn't even been through it yet. Right. And that's the only model they know. So if you put him toward the alternative programs, they have no idea what to expect.
1: Well, he was working 40 hours a week because he needed to help out his family. Yeah, and so he, 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 I, I there was you're
2: talking about an alternative ed kid eventually. Right.
1: Right. Because the thing is, yeah. is that many yeah. of our kids are looking at survival, mm-hmm. their family yeah. and their survival come first. I know somebody mm-hmm. who's now a high school principal who looked at me at one point and said that they had gotten into an argument with a mother about the atten- about their. Children's attendance. Mm-hmm. And the mother said, I need them at home because I have sick kids. And this principal said, I don't care. And the mother sat there and said, Look, this is the best I can do. I can get them there when I can, but I need my kids at home when I need my mm-hmm. kids at home. Yeah. I don't have a husband. I'm the I'm the bread earner. And the principal said, this is not up for negotiation. And they said... And she said, you're right, I won.
0: And I looked at this <laughs> principal
1: and I said, I want you to think back of, on your days of working with the gangs in Chicago and the, and the things that went on there and you being so kind-hearted and working with them as a teacher and yeah. dealing with all of their struggles and everything and trying to match those and here you are tossing all that in the bin mm-hmm. all that experience mm-hmm. and all that yes. prior knowledge and saying eh and having this highfalutin so. what's that it is cuz i said so yeah
2: it's and like the- the middle class values, we called it. Are we using our middle
1: class values? We'd say in staff meetings. Well, I just couldn't I just yeah. couldn't believe how yeah. they could flip like that. Yeah. And the self awareness is just gone. And they said, Oh, I think you're right. And I said, yeah, Well, I probably broken. I may be. I don't know. But I mean, well, you gotta consider
2: the person, not the you know. They, right. they." They violated some rule. No, this is a human. <laughs> so, what, them.
1: so what the students said was that they came in and all of a sudden they discovered that the teachers were there to help them. It didn't matter where they, <sighs> were, what they were, what they needed. The teachers were there to support them, to <sighs> encourage them, to teach them, to shore up their skills so that they could do better. And and to be
2: consistent, yes, uh, at least in our program, that we strove to be very consistent. You know, mm-hmm. There's comfort in comfort now the kids.
1: And they said that. They, here's another thing that they said. They said that the program that they were in, what they loved, was that it was inclusive. And I said, well, what does that mean? Mm. They said, you know, people say, well, our program is really inclusive. And then if somebody else walks in, all of a sudden yes. it's no longer inclusive. It's exclusive because they're excluding that person. And yeah. they said, no, this program included everybody. They invited more people to come in and share with us. We had people all the time coming in. And yeah, you did. So. But they were still labeled as those kids by their peers yeah. and because they were not conforming. And mm. they wouldn't conform to the traditional values. And they were also seen yeah. as the uncontrollables.
2: Some of the some of our graduates are our most favorite and the kids really benefited from our program, claimed mm-hmm. one of the high—they'd claim either one of the high schools as their graduation school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's
1: some a stigma, it. and they knew that. Let's move on to faculty. Mm. Faculty determined that if kids are—if they cannot control students and if they're having disciplinary problems, they start mm-hmm. looking for alternative programs or alternative placements. To put those students. Yes. I like the students, so because they aren't looking for ways to work with the student, they're trying to find the means by which they can figure out how to get that student to comply.
2: Oh, and they're trying to they're trying to control their classroom.
1: Well, so, those are. And, I'm talking about the administration. Oh, I thought you were talking about teachers. Now, now some of the teachers... Yeah, administrators are. Right. right. Now, some of the teachers, yeah, they want to have lockstep of everything that's going on there. They expect you to do X, Y, and Z. If you don't make it to class on time, they've locked the door. You (laughs) have to sit outside until you give them a good reason. That means that kids are missing out on information. That oh, means and kids
2: are also infamous for acting out in a classroom of twenty-six to thirty-two others. It's like, hey, well, I think I'll just mess with the soup today.
1: <laughs> well, sometimes they do that simply because one, they feel comfortable there. So you should be you you should feel good that you have that kind of welcoming mm-hmm. atmosphere. Two, it's because they are far behind and they have no idea what's yeah. actually happening. Yeah,
2: I think that's probably more onto it there. Yeah, there's some serious things going on. It's sort of a scream for help more than a middle finger to you.
1: (laughs) Well, and this this has been confirmed by students. They said, yeah, I would act out because I had no idea what was going on, and I was trying to figure it out, and the teachers wouldn't give me help because I had missed Mm -hmm. a day here, a day there. I'd been late. But I had other things going on in my life, and I couldn't always be there. So those are the misconceptions of student behavior. And teachers want kids to learn in one way. And rote learning does not work because you're mandating how a student is supposed to work. Huh? Right.
2: Well, they want to involve, they want every student to be involved in every lesson equally. And some lessons were just boring. I remember it mm-hmm. well.
1: Mm. I mean, I I was told that I had to teach certain things and I'd have to tell the students, I'm really sorry about this. They said that I have to teach this. And I think yeah, it's really I've boring. Done so let's get done with this as quickly as we can so we can do something right. far more interesting.
2: I remember growing up with that, too. It's just, okay, something had piqued my interest. It's, oh, this is really great. Okay, now we got to move on to something else. And it's like, whoa, that something else is really boring. (laughs) So I was on this roller coaster, emotional roller coaster
1: ride of learning. (laughs) (laughs) And then we get into assessments. And students find assessments as just another way to tell them that they are stupid they don't know anything, they'll never yeah. graduate, and yeah. they have no reason to be there. It's it's just it's, another big failure. Yeah. And these are the An things that ed, teachers use yeah. as their guides for grading.
2: I remember, okay, so in Alt-Ed, you did this too. Uh, the deadlines were for each kid. They weren't for the class. Right. So the kid... Took the test when they were ready to take a certain test, or or finish the paper when they finished the paper, Mm -hmm. not by the seventh, but when they were ready. You know, we got them to the point where they got over that that hill and learned that material and moved on, and so deadlines weren't like ominously over their heads constantly.
1: No. No, because in the workplace. You get things done when you get things done. Yeah. The ones who get them done quicker are the ones who are usually rewarded, but we (laughs) want them to figure out because, you know, they're still going through, remember the primal brain, the primal teen. Absolutely. Which which I found was a great book. Um, The brains are jello. It's just like a puppy. It's just like they were after they were born the cerebral cortex is just jello and as you said last week or two weeks ago it's like the um men don't really mature until 28 mentally yeah that's that's and sad, you yeah. know and the same thing with women that's why they take so many that's why they do so many stupid things so but if you're instilling this sense that they are just stupid and failures and that you set them up to fail. Let me ask you this. Yeah, How many times do teachers in the mainstream classroom set students up to succeed? Isn't that what Ooh, they should be doing? Very good question.
2: They do their very best to, to try to help them not fail. Exactly. But what do they do to try to get them to succeed? Yeah. I mean, and we're talking in a mainstream school. So in a mainstream school, that's limited by as many students as they have in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So the more the students, the more limits you have, because you can't reach them all. I mean, 26 to 30 kids is a ton. I mean, you're not... And you know, I'm just loving that Dunbar's number thing, and that says there's probably about 10 kids in your class, maybe 12, and that's a good number. You can have fun with
1: that. But how much of the information that we actually teach students is actionable? How much of it is something that is really, really vital to their development and growth?
2: I try to make it all that way because I try to make it all meaningful, like,
1: even if it's based, not
2: meaningful, I'll put in something.
1: But is that based on the need, one, to fill <laughs> time? And secondly, based on your own experience as a student of knowing what you had to go through and what the canon tells you to do, depending on which class it is?
2: Hmm. I'm not sure. Not sure what the question is, but as a teacher,
1: yeah, what are you what are you teaching? Are, is the material that you're teaching are the core classes really teaching them a lot, or are they just time well, fillers so that we can keep them there for six hours a day? That's that's yeah. that's a rhetorical question. That's something to like uh, okay chew on. Yeah, I understand that because we have to move on. Yeah, so administrators administrators are trying to get rid of the headaches they want them out of their way they don't want to deal with them as well as many of the parents of these kids because sometimes when you move the kids the parents move as well i had a parent Uh, i had a parent whose son was coming into our program there was an issue between groups of students and we graduated one group of students and this other kid came in. He said, are they going to be here? And I said, no. And he said, good, I can be here then. The uh-huh. father came in and the father, all the administrators came to me and said, watch out for this parent. He's crazy. He's," And they told me all these all these stories and I said you know what I'm going to take I'm going to take this parent as they are you can have whatever you want but don't sit there and set me up so that I don't want to work with this parent and the parent came in and we had a long talk in fact he would come in and talk to me because he was so frustrated after that and what the administrator said, Why is that parent constantly coming in? I told you they were no good. And I said, No, he came in so we could have a chat. Mm. They said, Oh, he's not threatening you? I said, No. Mm. Why would he threaten me? They said, Are you telling me that you are on good terms with that parent? And I said, Yeah. And they and they just looked at me and they said, Whatever. And they walked out. Well, the parent was really frustrated because every time that they tried to talk to one of the administrators, because he was 15 when his kid was born and the kid was now 17. So he was just in his early thirties Yeah, that he was an idiot and that he wasn't worth the time and that he was too emotional. And he said, all I want is clarity. I just want to know what's going on and they won't tell me and they, And he said, you know, they almost put me in handcuffs one day because I was saying, what is going on? And they refused to talk to me. Hmm. In fact, they tried intimidation. So I think that there is this thing that administration needs to be, I don't know what the word is, like they are the end all. And if you challenge them, If they believe that you're challenging them by asking questions Mm -hmm. and you want to have a conversation with them and you're slightly feeling, I'll use the word emotional, they should probably have a method by which they know how to assess the situation and ease it and bring it back down and not wait for the SRO. Or a security to come around and deal with it and throw it out. Because you mm-hmm. don't get rid of it. Well, it's pretty hierarchical.
2: I'm the it's, administrator.
1: Oh, it's elitist is what it is.
2: <laughs> this is what I've said. It's paternalistic. Paternalistic. I know better. I know better. Yeah. not no, just behave.
1: <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> they also say that alternative ed is resource intensive. because. It's taking the money away from all these wonderful other children and work. And we have to give you some dollars. Uh, so, okay, you know, there's there. so there's a, there's a big problem with administration and mm-hmm. funding with resource allocation. And mm-hmm. they look to see whether or not it's cost effective. Well, when you take a look at the DNA funding the delinquent and neglected youth, the re-engagement funding. When you take a look at the uh, numbers of students who are on all kinds of different programs, if they're in the court system or whatever, you're getting additional funding. Plus, you also mm-hmm. get the money for the that goes from the special ed department. And many times, special ed loves it because it reduces their caseloads, but there are only so many special ed students that you can take. So, um, you know, there's, they're not looking at it as a real student kind of thing. They're looking at, at it more as a budgetary concern.
2: Well, the premise is, is that it's not a legitimate school system. Right. Because they don't,
1: because they don't understand the metrics. They don't right, so understand my
2: money from a perfectly good school to fund this thing.
1: <laughs> well, they can't measure the outcomes. They don't know how to do that Yeah. and no, what they, they should don't. be doing. And this comes to my, my conversation opinion. that I had and that was in working with alternative education, the reason why they're going towards the computerized platforms is mm-hmm. because there are fewer and fewer teachers who understand or are able to teach to content standards in more than one subject. No. Really? Because they don't have a good liberal arts background. They don't understand the math. They don't understand how English works completely. I would have to say i have found people who just aren't willing to do that they don't understand science there i think a lot of it has to do not just with competency but also with confidence and teachers remember i used to crow about the need for we want teachers who want to learn teachers yeah. should be lifelong learners mm-hmm and these people are perfectly com- comfortable in their own little pigeonhole and they don't want to make that any bigger they don't want to spread out
2: you know for whatever i was reason. thinking that as you were saying that because i wasn't confident in many subjects
0: when i first mm-hmm.
2: started teaching and i learned to be very confident because i had to help you know, the kids learn at the high school level. Then I started to learn it myself. And then I started to go beyond what was high school level because it's interesting and I like to learn and it would help me teach. So there you go. Mm.
1: Exactly. But I think, I don't know what the reasons are. Some people say, well, teachers have so much on their plate right now. Um. Yeah, well, everybody seems to have a, a lot on their plate right now too. Mm, so
2: that doesn't make how it long <laughs> how long can you
1: use that as an excuse?
2: It's not okay. an excuse. I think teachers are given too much frivolous stuff and not enough well, student-centered, I think, student-oriented stuff.
1: Right, and I think teachers need to yeah. focus in on the kids. And if people and be yeah, careful what I you agree to. It. I just remember an administrator said, okay, I need to see this. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And they said, well, where is it? Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) They said, no, seriously, we talked about this. And I said, oh, you may have talked about it, but it was nothing that was on my my radar. I've got more than enough stuff to worry about. That's not important to me. They said, you didn't do it? And I said, no. I said, when do you need it? They said, today. And I said, well, show me what you want and so they sat down and we did it together and I said there you have it. Yeah. So um there're just too See, many things that they there there's all this minutia that they want. That's the problem. Yeah. And yeah, teachers have teachers have to start to band together and say, "You know, enough is enough. That's not part of my job." Okay, That's let's true. move on. This this yeah. next one should be quick. And I it have. is policymakers. Well, I know nothing of that. Well,
2: the legislature. You know of
1: that. The legislature and the policymakers. What's really interesting is that the policymakers that I know at the state, everything is political. It's all about politics and it's all about making making points. It's all about mm. DEI. It's all about um, they mm. talk equity, but they don't follow equity. They, I think that they've lost what it is. And these are policymakers who have been teachers, who've been in education. But I, there is a time when you leave education and you think you're connected, but you're not anymore. You're really not mm. because now you're in the politics of the politics. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. There's office politics. There's all this other stuff that goes on. And so they need to figure out, and sometimes they're frustrated because politicians other those students as well in the alternative ed community. Yeah, I
2: imagine they do, don't
1: they? Mm Mm-hmm. And sometimes they have very well-meaning intentions, but we know what happens with with good intentions. They have severe consequences, so they don't really think about and they don't discuss things with the people out in the field who actually know something. I know somebody who is a su- who became superintendent who has no clue what they're doing, and it was only mm. it the only way I can see it as them getting there. It was a political appointment. I've spoken to other people who work under him in this capacity, and they are just looking for retirement. They've got to get out simply because this person knows very little about what they're talking about. They were never trained. They have never taught. And yet they're making education policy for a Good number of students and teachers in the state, so um yeah, so no. but but is sad do you think alternative ed is politically expeditious? Phew,
2: no why i I don't think that there's because there's a lack of understanding of what it is, it's considered another. An outside thing; it's not part of the school system. It's there because the school system, it kind of needs it. I think. Well, most it's, in think that. it's in yeah. the
1: law. It's in the law. I Except, mean, I think most people don't understand that. <laughs> I, yeah. You know, I think. But, yeah. Well, they don't understand what the law is. You worked under yeah. a director who told me that there was nobody in the Department of Education for alternative ed. Mm. I remember that. And yeah, so I had to point. I had to do fast work before our district wasted hundreds and thousands if not millions of dollars going down the wrong path. I had peop- I that the administrator I was working with his head was spinning. And when I had to call the district office their heads were spinning cuz they couldn't believe what I was coming up with. And I gave mm. them a phone number, and I said, talk to this person, and they will verify everything that I am emailing you. And I emailed mm. them everything. They dropped the whole thing. It was gone. It was no longer an issue. Even though they had spent two years trying to figure out how they were going to rectify it. That's something so else, isn't it? It was ridiculous. I mean, it's yeah. it's it blows I'm, my mind... Is that there are policy there are people who who are in charge of policy who are down there who reach out to the administrators who never once think to contact them and then mm. make biased judgments based on ignorance without investigating first the other thing based is back in the 90s in Oregon I'm not sure about other states. There was a piece of legislation that was passed, and it said that all, all districts shall provide an alternative education environment for students. That man, yeah. if students needed a students wanted or needed, or the parents wanted or needed an, enti- an alternative environment or an alternative to the mainstream. The districts needed to provide that. Well, there was a huge Hmm. hue and cry. And all of a sudden, uh, probably within three to six months, the legislature changed the language from shall to may. Huge difference. Money. Now, people say there's no power in words. Yes, there is. Because oh, that changed Absolutely, changed So that's everything. the same. That has not been changed. Mm. I'm going to say that that was around 1997,
2: 98? Yeah.
1: So, oh, okay. Man. Okay. So what about the community? We're running out of time. How do you uh, think the community perceives alternative ed?
2: I, I think they don't either know it exists Mm -hmm. and if they do know it exists it's again like their kids it's uh you know for the other kids you know that it's it's a last resort sort of Mm -hmm. thing you know it's like you know those kids are those dropouts they go there you know just a lot of misconception
1: but you know i've had some parents who came to me and said how do i get my kid in because they need this I've had that. And so parents see it as a viable resort for their students to learn and gain something. Because they will call, they will find out what the specs are in a sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they will understand what's going on. But the rest of the community, sure. the rest of the community has an elitist viewpoint where any kid that can't make it in the mainstream classroom is less than. Yeah.
2: I agree. I agree is less than, and I think that um, perhaps that's one of the reasons that, um, the alternative programs attracted kids who were kind of like first generation-ish, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, like a lot of Pacific Island kids, a lot of kids from, you know, um, Latin America, Mexico, things like that. And they didn't have that kind of that attitude of hierarchy ingrained. And so when they came to these programs, they're going, hey, this seems kind of cool. And then they realized that the community was there and, and such. So they never had that. Preconceived sort of it's the last resort place, (laughs) the place of place for losers.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And and they find a family. And so what happens with a lot of the immigrant families and the other minority families is that once you have one member of the family there, it they all start coming in.
2: Yeah, that's true too.
1: And so you're going to be dealing with them. Yeah. And that's wonderful and, because it not helps us build the family.
2: Yeah. There was a whole family of sisters. They all came to the school. Mm-hmm. You know what? There are four of them. and They all went through. <laughs> it was their school.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay. So. Wrapping up. The, the misperceptions are it's those kids. They're the bad kids. They are the stoners, the druggies, the criminals. That the curriculum is less than. They don't have to do as much work. They don't have to do everything that everybody else has to do. Right. And so it's far easier.
2: Mm -hmm. Easier, they say that.
1: And yeah. and this is a common thread and it's an illegitimate, let's just call it illegitimate. It's, oh, yes. it's, it's just for that group of kids that everybody wants to get rid of anyway, just throw them mm-hmm. there. It's a very nice looking garbage can that they're contained <laughs> in. Yeah. And then, and they oh, the they're graduating. So the yay, yeah. we got rid of them.
2: We got rid of them. Yes. And uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's something.
1: Now, what needs to happen is there needs to be a way, and I don't know how. I know that if you mm-hmm. if you look for your state alternative ed organization, they are there. Mm-hmm. You can go to the NAEA website, the National Alternative Education Association website, mm-hmm. and you can find all kinds of resources. You can find out where you can get uh, hooked up with people in your area, and you can get more information about support. Mm. But how do we collaborate? Where do we collaborate? And what kind of action can we do in order to work harder on dispelling these myths? I think that Mm. is something that Mm. everybody wants to do, but it's, it's it's a Sisyphean sort of task. It's going
2: to take an integral change. It's going to take a, a, a different look at how the whole system works, because the schools that are being built now just continue to be built.
1: <laughs> you know, right? Like they always have been. No one's stopped the horse yet. So yeah, we're building the temples to Apollo, and then once that's dispelled, then yeah. they just sort of sit there. So it's good there. Yeah, I like that. So we're going to stop and close out. So is are there? Do you have any final words, Philip? Nope, I haven't done that. And I want to thank you. Next next week we're going to talk about why we're not actually teaching education in the 21st century. Why are we still wallowing around in the early 19th or 20th century? Yeah. Why aren't we, why hasn't education changed quickly and why is the innovation not there? So with that being said, thank you, Philip. Thank you, Donnie. And until next week, we will see you then. Stay well. Bye-bye.